For many Vietnamese, it was a brutal civil war. For others, the bloody climactic chapter in a century-old struggle for independence. And what are you doing now, my blue-eyed son? For those Americans who fought in it, and for those who fought against it back home, as well as for those who merely glimpsed it on the nightly news, the Vietnam War was a decade of agony, the most divisive period since the Civil War. Vietnam seemed to call everything into question. The that was a clip from episode one of Ken Burns and Lynn Novick's latest documentary, The Vietnam War. The film is Ken and Lynn's most ambitious project to date, and I'd argue they're most important. It's 10 episodes that run over 18 hours and cover more than 150 years of history. And they shot it in both the United States and all over Vietnam. My name is Alyssa Rosenberg, and I write a column about culture and politics for the opinion section of the Washington Post. I've also been obsessed with the 60s ever since I can remember. I even dressed up as a hippie for Halloween one year. I think I was 11. I've known Ken since 2012, and when I learned that he was working on a film about the Vietnam War, obviously I was immediately hooked. As Ken and Lynn finalized the movie, they allowed me to sit in on their editing sessions and ask questions about what they were doing and why. Through this process, it became clear that this was going to be a really important project, not just for them and for their creative partnership, but for all of us. So that's where this podcast, The American War, comes in. I was able to see a lot of what goes into making a film like this, and I wanted to share that with all of you. Before the film came out, I called Ken to talk about his process and his vision. I remember just turning to Lynn and saying, we have to do Vietnam. And she just nodded instantaneously. And I also spoke with Lynn and some of the key advisors and voices who helped shape the documentary. So letting go of those ideals or illusions, the sense that we could do no wrong and that we could accomplish anything we set our mind to, that's ingrained in our DNA. And uh, the Vietnam War challenged all of that. After each episode airs, I'll bring you these conversations to help you digest some of the major themes of that episode, and I'll take you through how Ken, Lynn, and their colleagues made the film. We'll discuss how studying the Vietnam War changed their ideas about what America was, how the country changed during the conflict, and who we are today. Welcome to the American War. Let's dive into episode one. There's a moment in this episode that I bring up every time I talk to somebody about the movie. And something really eerie happens. You have this incredibly famous footage of the Vietnam War, and it starts to play backwards. So you have a helicopter, and it's rising up out of the water to land back on the deck of an aircraft carrier. You see a man who's just been shot in the streets of Saigon, but instead of dying, he rises up from the pavement as if he's been resurrected. We see a Buddhist monk on fire, but instead of being consumed by the flames, they disappear back into his body. And I love this sequence. It's visually beautiful, but it also makes me really uncomfortable. It suggests that when we talk about putting Vietnam behind us, as Henry Kissinger does in this sequence, what we're really saying is that we want to turn back the clock and make it so that none of this ever happened. Am I overreading that scene? Is that what you intended? 
A little bit over reading. What I wanted to do is I realized that we are in some ways kind of possessed by a desire not to know about Vietnam. You know, in the Kissinger's comment that let's put it behind us, that that the knowledge that has come down to us is um, so superficial and so now deeply flawed due to new scholarship and just a willingness to attend to the facts of what took place that it seemed important for me as a filmmaker to run the familiar images or the shocking images or both of them backwards to kind of unpack. You will then see in the coming episode and in the subsequent episodes that follow all of those pieces of footage going forward or at least a cousin of that footage going forward in in the film as a way to repack a much more complicated but we think satisfying. But I would just direct you to the, the comment just before that. It is no accident that after a kind of... Uh, disjointed and hallucinatory, almost PTSD flashback-like first couple of scenes, you come to a parade, and there you hear from a Marine, who you will meet later on, who turned out to be a highly decorated Marine with very complicated feelings about the war, is saying that he and his wife are friends with another couple for 12 years before the wives are talking and they both discovered that their husbands had been in the Marine Corps in Vietnam. Nobody said a word. It's like living in a family, he said, with an alcoholic father. Shh, we don't talk about it. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because Vietnam is something, there have been so many books, there have been so many movies, you know, and yet he's saying that we don't talk about it. I mean, do you feel like there's some tension there? Yeah, I, 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 I do. I, I, I do believe there have been books, and the books have been, for the most part, extraordinary, like Dispatches by Michael Hare, obviously, the things they carried by Tim O'Brien. But I think the movies have been classically American. They have succumbed to the great American disease of self-importance and exceptionalism. And so when we, they deal with Vietnam, they deal only with ourselves. And the story we're going to tell, please can we unspool what you think it is about and let's now put it back together in a way that's much more complicated. So to back up a little bit, at what point did you decide that you were going to make a movie about the Vietnam War? Since I know you always have a lot of projects going. What was it? Yeah, about so, so I had, I mean, there's maybe a little preamble to that, um, and that is that after the Civil War series, which had taken me five and a half years to make, I would sort of vowed, and we sort of all vowed, that we didn't want to do a war again. It, was, it really hurt. It was painful. And, and it isn't just the images that you use and the stories you tell. It's the images you don't use and the stories you don't tell, the negative space of creation, the necessary other stuff. Was it, I mean, was it emotionally yeah, that's what I mean. That's yeah. what I mean. There was no PTSD, of course, but it was emotionally difficult and gut-wrenching. And, uh, you know, for every diary of a soldier that's dying and whatever, we looked at a hundred of them, you know, and that, that hurt. Are there any of them that you still feel sort of personally attached to that you couldn't get in the Civil War? I think they've faded over time, but, you know, there are a few quotes and a few moments, and it, it, it is more the sense that War is, as William Tecumseh Sherman said, all hell. Um, all hell. It's a big difference. War is all hell. And, and at the end of the 90s, we had 
heard, I'd heard the statistic that a thousand veterans, American veterans of the Second World War were dying each day in America. And that sort of created an urgency that that whole generation of my dad's was dying out and we would no longer uh, have those people to talk to, that the Second World War, the greatest cataclysm in human history, would suddenly necessarily be abstracted. Not that there weren't great historians then and, and now, as there are, but, but you wouldn't be able to have unmediated access to the war from live human beings. And that scared me. And long story short, now I'm catching up to your question. <laughs> At the end, you know, that was broadcast in the fall of 2007. At the end of 2006, as we were wrapping it all up, all the post-production work and that sort of stuff, I remember just turning to Lynn and saying, we have to do Vietnam. And she just nodded instantaneously. And, and it was both like exciting and, and a tremendous burden and responsibility because we knew it would take us a decade. And that was a huge commitment to uh, what has turned out to be not just the most complicated and difficult production, but the most satisfying in a way because of the, the sort of effort and energy and collaboration and cooperation that it took to marshal the forces to to, to engage new scholarship, to talk to witnesses and bear witness to what they're saying and honor that testimony, and then to, f to frame a narrative that was like a Russian novel with lots of complicated parts of primary, secondary, and tertiary characters, and then add such complicated uh, uh, sound effects and music and, and try to do that while always remembering that more than one truth could obtain at any given moment. And in fact, in this film, many, many truths are happening all at the same time. And, and, and in some ways, as dizzying as that was to master and try to come to terms with for Lynn and our senior producer, Sarah Botstein, and our writer, Jeff Ward, and the whole extraordinary group of people, uh, editors and assistants and associate producers and co-producers, to, to, to master that we also had to, in some ways, just be liberated by all of that dissonance and figure out a way just to go, that's what it is. So I feel like, you know, you told me this was the biggest commitment you'd ever made. You talked a little bit about the sort of sitting with that dissonance. Going into the project, were there questions that you felt like you had about the war that you personally wanted to have answered or pieces of dissonance that you wanted to try to resolve? You know, for me, it's always discovery, and I was sort of hampered by uh, an arrogance, as I think Jeff had, and I think to probably a much lesser extent that Lynn had. But I think both he and I went in with a certain arrogance that we kind of knew this story, and we thought we knew what was going on. And it was, for 10 years, a kind of daily humiliation. And the humbleness you then feel in the face of that is really terrifically liberating as well. I mean, we are able to just say, okay. Uh, you know, often you, when, you, when you master a story in film, uh, you're really happy with it. You're sort of satisfied. You've wrestled this complicated thing to the ground. The scene is now working. The moment within the scene is working. The arc of the episode is working. The interrelationships between the episode. And then inevitably somebody, a consultant or your own reading or a colleague will say, ah, it's a little bit more complicated, and you go, grr, I don't want to do this. This thing is already working. In Vietnam, it was one of those things where you just finally went, bring it on, and we found ourselves welcoming that 
complication and going, okay, let's open it up and let's fix that thing. Because new scholarship has shown it's not, you know, four regiments going down the Ho Chi Minh Trail that month, but only three. Let's make that right. So every day uh, on this production was a kind of glorious, oh, really? Of course it's more complicated. For how, how do we make it and how do we then keep the scene still working? I feel the same way. Going into this project, I thought I knew a lot about the war in Vietnam. After all, it was a subject and a period that had been a lifelong interest for me. And I knew vaguely that the war had started with the French. I think I pushed hard for uh, a little more on the French experience. That's Frederick Logval. He's one of the people who advised Ken and Lynn on the film, and one of the cool things for me about doing this project was that I actually got to ask him my questions about the Vietnam War. Frederick wrote an amazing book. It's called Embers of War, and it's about the French experience in Vietnam. And one thing reading it made really clear to me was the extent to which America wasn't just making our own set of tragic mistakes in Vietnam. We were making the exact same mistakes that the French made a generation earlier. As it turns out, Frederick was one of the people who convinced Ken and Lynn that they had to include more French history in the documentary. Why do you think you know, the French war in Indochina, as well as the Japanese invasion in 1940, or the Chinese attack in 1979, play such a limited role in American historical memory of Vietnam? Is it just that we're self-centered? I mean, it is something that happened to us, but it seems like it's challenging for us to see our experience as part of a larger continuity. Oh, I think that's exactly right. In fact, I don't think I have that much to add to your summation, I do think Americans at the time had a hard time seeing that the French experience had all that much to teach them, especially early on. Later on, interestingly, when things started to go south, then some U.S. officials tentatively said, well, you know what, maybe we could have learned something from the French. But I think it was hard for Americans then, and I think probably hard for Americans now, to get them to see how relevant that earlier history was to, to the American experience. So there's this rejection of the idea that the Americans are like the French, but were there ways in which Americans in Vietnam ended up replicating French behavior or French colonial practices without necessarily being aware of what they were communicating by doing so? Oh, no question. Uh, you no know, question about that. I guess I would say first, to the first point, that you know, for a long time, American officials argued, to what extent they actually believed it deep down is a, is, a, is a question. But they argued that the French are colonialists. They're a decadent people trying to prop up this colonial empire. Their army is a hidebound, intellectually bankrupt enterprise. Why do we have anything to learn from them? We, on the other hand, the United States, we're the good guys. We are militarily invincible. We have come to help the Vietnamese in their hour of need to combat, you know, rapacious communist expansion, and then we're going to go home. You know, and we've given the Vietnamese something to fight for, whereas the French didn't give them anything to fight for because it was all about colonialism. So that's the argument that's made. But to go to the heart of your question, what we see is a remarkable set of similarities. As I say, I think, in my last book, to study these wars in succession is to experience a feeling of deja vu. Because, for example, the soldierly complaints 
about the difficulty of telling friend from foe, about the poor fighting spirit among ours as compared to their indigenous troops, you know, the gripes by commanders about the meddling politicians back home, the promises that corners are about to be turned. We have to justify the deaths that have already that we've already suffered. All of these refrains, which I think were ubiquitous in the United States in the late 1960s, for example, you could have heard also in France in the late 1940s. So I do think there's something to this notion that, in many respects, I think Bernard Fall put it quite well. He said, the Americans are dreaming different dreams than the French, but walking in the same footsteps. Well, that's lovely. You know, as we've been talking about this, and I was rereading Choosing War and Embers of War before we talked, do you think that there is a contradiction in sort of what you mentioned as an American fear of revolution, but also a resistance to being seen as a colonizing power? Because in the sense that we were a colony, I can understand why Americans would have a hard time understanding themselves as colonizing another country. But we also gained our independence through revolution. So is there a hypocrisy in our supposed fear of revolution elsewhere? Yeah, I think that there is a a kind of hypocrisy. It's maybe an understandable one on some level, but I think it is. Ho Chi Minh, by the way, struggled with this. Ho Chi Minh, for a long time, believed that the Americans would be there for him in the end, that he would be able to count on the United States. And he believed that not only because of what Franklin Roosevelt said during World War II about you know colonialism being a thing of the past and how we have to support self-determination, etc., but he also believed at Ho because of America's historical experience, which is that the United States had fought a war against the colonial overlord in the British, knew, in other words, what he was trying to do uh, in Vietnam, and had gone through a revolution successfully. So, ergo, the U.S. should be there for me. So he struggled with this, didn't want to believe in the hypocrisy, didn't believe that the United States could say one thing and then do something else. And it took him a long time to, to shed this idea that ultimately the Americans will come to my assistance. It was only, I think, in 1948-49, so deep into his war with France, that he finally said, okay, I guess I should give up on the Americans. It's a tragic part of the story as far as I'm concerned. One thing that struck me watching the documentary uh, and actually got me some points with a tour guide in Vietnam Mm. was the focus on political figures other than Ho Chi Minh. Yeah. Um, when my husband and I explained that we, we knew who Le Swan was at ah. the Ho Chi Minh Mausoleum, our guide was really excited. Ah. Oh, great. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that seems to me to be a part of this documentary that, as far as popular histories go, is somewhat new for a mass American audience. Is that, is that correct, would you say? I mean, I've read a lot of the literature, but not all of it. No, I think that is true. I, I think that for a long time, Americans just imagined that this was Ho Chi Minh, and it was Bo Nguyen Zap. It was basically Ho and Zap, and then some subordinates who were, of course, who of course mattered. But you know, it's really those two figures, Sam Van Dong, maybe to a certain extent, among more knowledgeable people, uh, and that's what we need to focus on. And it's only been, and I think, the last decade that we've true, gotten a true sense that Lay Zwan 
comes to matter just enormously to the North Vietnamese strategy, decision-making. He really does become the key policymaker, day-to-day policymaker, in this struggle. And I think that's been a, an important change in the, in the historiography. this project, I thought I knew a lot about the Vietnam War. But as I watched this episode and as I talked to Ken and Frederick, I realized maybe I don't actually know as much as I thought. When Americans talk about the Vietnam War, mostly what we talk about is ourselves. We try to understand how men like Defense Secretary Robert McNamara could ever have thought we were winning the war, or how President Lyndon Johnson could have decided that it was more important to defend his reputation in Vietnam than to build his great society here at home. We argue about the anti-war movement, why it didn't succeed, and why some of the people involved in it veered off into violent excesses. We wonder if we can ever trust what the government says again. I understand why we do this. America still hasn't settled these debates or figured out answers to the big questions raised by Vietnam that we can all agree on. The stories about Vietnam that we obsess over are true, but they aren't the complete story about what happened when America went to war there. The truth is, to understand Vietnam, we need to understand the choices that other people made before us and that the Vietnamese made when we arrived. Thank you so much for listening. Every day after PBS airs another installment of the Vietnam War, we'll be back here to discuss it in a new episode of this podcast. So join me back here tomorrow to talk about episode two with Ken and Lynn. We'll discuss how studying the Vietnam War changed their ideas about what America was, how the country changed, and who we are today. I hope you'll join me for this journey in watching and discussing this new documentary. And if you enjoyed this, please take some time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, share with friends and family, and find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you want more on this project, you can read my profiles of Ken and Lynn and my deep dive into the making of the Vietnam War at WashingtonPost.com slash The American War. This podcast is produced by Carol Alderman and Adriana Nucero with art direction from Chris Rucan. Welcome to the American War. If you like the American War, you should check out some of our other great podcasts, like Cape Up with Jonathan Capehart where Jonathan brings you the voices you need to hear on the topics you try to avoid. Or try Constitutional, a series about how people have framed and reframed the Constitution over time from host Lillian Cunningham. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.